text for the sermon this morning comes from Psalm 13. For those who don't know, it's our custom each month to be, begin the month looking at a new psalm, and then we'll sing it throughout the month. We find ourselves in Psalm 13 at uh, the start of this year. Began with Psalm 1 last year and are now at Psalm 13. So let's hear God's word this morning as we find it in Psalm 13. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Today marks the start of a new calendar year. And many take opportunity at this time to reflect upon the past year and to make plans for the coming year. For some of you, for some of you this new year might be filled with a lot of hope for uh, good things, and you might be very excited about this year. You look at it with overflowing optimism. You're excited about the various opportunities you will have in it. Perhaps it means for you new job opportunities and friendships. Perhaps you look forward to new adventures, maybe visiting a new state, visiting family. But for others of you, it might be cause for anxiety and fear. You maybe wonder how you're going to provide for yourself and your family in this year. Maybe you find yourself in a new city or a new state and you're wondering how that will go and if you'll have, make friendships and get used to this place. You wonder if the medical treatment you're going through will be effective. Maybe you're anxious about the state of your marriage, unsure if it will continue to decline or if things will get better. Maybe you find yourself worrying about the salvation of your children as they grow up with each passing year. Maybe you find yourself very concerned about the growing state of immorality in this land. You wonder what is going to happen. But regardless of whether you are optimistic going into this year or anxious, it is likely that each of you will indeed be faced with new hardships, new trials, and new temptations this year. Psalm 34 tells us that many are the afflictions of the righteous. Some of these afflictions may not be that difficult. Others will be incredibly difficult, and you'll wonder if you'll be able to endure them. Now, I, I don't say this to discourage you, but I say it to be realistic with you. 
I say it to prepare you for the difficulties that may come in this coming year. The start of every year marks for us new opportunity to gird up the loins of our minds and prepare ourselves for new battles as we walk through this pilgrimage in this world. And each year presents us with new opportunities to trust in the Lord. And with that in mind, Psalm 13 is, is really an excellent psalm to begin the year meditating on. Psalm 13 is the cry of David to the Lord as he's undergoing incredible anxiety and depression. And as we will see, his struggle has a very, very specific cause, a cause that we may not immediately think about when we think about the, the issues of depression and anxiety. But amid David's trial, he shows forth the response of faith and the hope of faith. Psalm 13 gives God's people in every time and in every land the words of a prayer amid trials. This prayer presents the hope of all who trust in, in God, a hope that God is faithful. And so let us consider Psalm 13 this morning under the theme, Hope for the Anxious and Depressed. We first note that those two verses, those two opening verses of Psalm 13 are marked by an all-consuming question that is repeated four times. Four times David calls out to the Lord, How long? This is the prayer of a man who's come to his wit's end. He's immensely troubled. The opening of his prayer isn't some grand theological thought or declaration. It is an inescapable and all-consuming question. It is the cry of a man who, who can turn nowhere else to for help. It is that cry, how long? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This question marks David's grave internal, emotional, and spiritual distress. In David's experience, God was, was distant from him. It was as though God had completely forgotten him. And this question in, in David's mind, this, this experience seems to have been brought about by external pressures on David. We read in verses 3 and 4, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. In other words, David's enemies had been attacking him again. And for all intents and purposes, it seemed like they were going to gain the victory and this was that external pressure on David's life that, that brought him so low that he can only ask God, how long? How long? 
This sense of abandonment understandably caused David great anxiety. The child of God should be troubled when God seems distant. It should seem very unnatural and unnerving that God would seem distant from us. David asked in verse 2, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? We see there that, that David's mentally restless. Taking counsel in your soul could perhaps be compared to the restless mind we get when we're going through a dire situation. We're trying to think of, of some way out of it, and our mind is racing as quickly as it can, and we can barely keep up with it. And it's coming up with idea after idea, worry after worry, anxiety after anxiety, and we have no solution. In the state of restless mental turmoil quickly turns into sorrow of heart as we find that there's no answer to our questions. Notice that David says, after how long shall I take counsel in my heart? He says, having sorrow in my heart daily. David's anxiety, his troubled mind, turned into a heart of daily sorrow. This is that inescapable emotional sorrow that perhaps can last days and weeks as the person is plunged into the foreboding pit of depression. It certainly shows us that Christians struggle with both depression and anxiety. David, as a child of God, struggled with these things. And, and there can be multiple reasons for why a person might struggle with these things. And I don't have time to go into all those reasons. But I, but I want us to take specific notice at why David in particular in this psalm is struggling with these things. David's struggle here is, is related to a very spiritual concern. The spiritual cause of his distress is related to the prevalence of wicked men and the glory of God. Or I should say, the lack of the glory of God. Now, as, as we've worked through the Psalms as a congregation, I've, I've sought to emphasize the, the ordered and structured layout to this book. It's not just a jumble of 150 unconnected songs, but instead is a very ordered collection of songs seeking to, to establish uh, various points as, as you work through the book. And we see that here with, with Psalm 13. We know that the psalm surrounding Psalm 13 seemed to speak of David's distress that we find here in Psalm 13. Last month we... we read and sang from Psalm 12, and we know that Psalm 12 ends with that statement, the wicked prowl on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. David in Psalm 12 was surrounded by lying, flattering, and slanderous men. These are men who had forgotten God. We know that Psalm 14 has a very similar theme to it. We read in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They, are, they have done abominable works. There is none who does good. 
The Psalms surrounding Psalm 13 speak of the prevalence of the wicked. A prevalence that David seems to have known all too well as he composed and and wrote Psalm 13. Verse 4, after all, says, Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So as though David is feeling squeezed by the wicked who are around him. We need to know that David is not just troubled with the prevalence of wicked men. He is also concerned for God's glory. I just read verse 5. But I'll repeat it again. David remarks there, Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. David's enemies prevailing over him was not simply an issue of physical life. Although that, that does play into it. There is a fundamental spiritual concern here. For someone to prevail over David would be for someone to seemingly prevail over God. And we have to remember that David was God's anointed servant. He served a very specific purpose. He was a type of Christ. He was a king. He was that Davidic Davidic king, a, a foreshadowing of the Messiah who would come. And so the rejoicing of David's enemy over him would then be rejoicing over David's God as well. David's enemies to exalt over him would be a testament that perhaps God was not faithful. That perhaps he was not a God of mercy. That perhaps salvation could not be found in him. David, as he's Writing this psalm is concerned for the glory of God. He's concerned that God's name would be exalted and not the name of these wicked men. Now, a question that comes to us today is Does the prevalence of wicked men cause you to be, to be disturbed as David is disturbed here? There's a sense that this should make us very uncomfortable. The overwhelming rejection of God and His Word, the prevalence of wicked men, should cause us to ask that question with David, how long? The wicked prowling on every side, the fool saying in his heart, there is no God. If we are zealous for God's glory, this should be an awful reality for us to consider. Men and women not glorifying God, not giving Him the glory that He is due. Such wickedness, perhaps we can ask with David here. Perhaps the Lord has forgotten. Perhaps He is hiding His face. Yet the the pressure of this question, I think, is reduced in the culture we live in. We maybe don't feel this this tension as much as as we find David experiencing this tension. Many continue to falsely view the United States as, as God's special country. 
And sometimes seem as though people think it's impossible for God to not bless the United States. God must because it is the United States. People dupe themselves into thinking God has favored them. After all, they are blessed materially beyond comprehension. Perhaps we need to be a little more careful. After all, how can a country that so quickly claims the name of God have such wickedness? Is not this wickedness a statement of God's distance from such a land? Whether it's a 64 million babies who have been aborted in the United States since 1973, or the social contagion of transgenderism resulted in, resulting in mutilated bodies, and the distress of precious souls by corrupt and wicked groomers. There's a vast human trafficking of the porn industry, the depravity of government officials as they seek anything but God's law, the rampant materialism of generations who are constantly getting but never being satisfied, one who seriously looks at the sinfulness of this land should, should maybe walk away asking How can God allow such depravity and wickedness to continue? How can God seemingly bless this nation when there is such wickedness? You may even ask with David, how long will you hide your face from me? When will righteousness prevail? When will there be those who will give the glory to God that he is owed? David has a burden for the Lord in this psalm. His depression has a very real spiritual cause. As his enemy is seemingly prevailing over him, as is the wicked are gaining the upper hand, he's feeling that distance from his Lord. Yet there are vast numbers of people who profess no faith in God, who who also struggle with depression and anxiety. Look up some of the statistics for some of the, the most prevalent issues, mental issues in society today. You'll find that it's depression, people who are depressed and people who are anxious. We must realize that the cause of that is drastically distinct from David's distress. Much of the anxiety of this current generation is because the gods and goddesses of their material and digital worlds provide no answer or relief to the very real spiritually dead state of their souls. They look for relief from their Anxiety and human counselors who recommend cheap tricks and tips that may provide some help from from some of the more severe symptoms. But at the end of the day, symptoms are simply treated. People are told to remove and avoid negative influences from their lives rather than to cope and deal with those negative influences. It shouldn't be a surprise that the mere treatment of symptoms of anxiety leads to depression. 
Empty lives with empty solutions will lead to empty, hopeless souls. The anxious, godless counsel of your soul will lead to an empty, godless, and hopeless sorrow in your heart. People are looking for the solution to their anxiety and depression everywhere but where they should look to the solution. Because the solution is found. Part of the solution is found in God's Word. Those who believe in God have a hope that unbelievers cannot have as they deal with anxiety and depression. They have the hope that the Lord will consider and hear their complaint. They have the hope that God is faithful to His Word, that His Word indeed is pure. But unbelievers will forever be restless, hopeless, anxious, and depressed until they find God. Augustine of Hippo remarked that you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Those who are apart from God will forever have a restless heart. It was God who was David's ultimate hope. We see that in, in, in the bare fact that David prays to God. Though David struggled deeply here, he had a hope. A hope that cried out to God in prayer. David could turn somewhere in the midst of the burden of his heart. And while God's people struggle with depression and anxiety in their life, they have a beautiful remedy to that struggle. They can turn to God in faith through prayer. This is, is the humbling grace of prayer. So let us, in our difficulties, turn to the Lord in prayer and let us do this with earnestness. There are many who continue in questioning because they will not avail themselves of the means of grace found in prayer. David, we, we don't know how long David struggled here. The psalm indicates that he struggled for some time. He talks about having a sorrow in his heart daily. But as we will see in a moment, David goes to the Lord in prayer. He humbles himself. Comes before God in prayer. And, and the Lord gives him much reason for rejoicing. When we go through trials, when we go through difficulties in our lives, we can sometimes stubbornly ignore the means of grace that we can find in prayer. We sometimes in our pride will we'll refuse to cry out to God. We'll, we'll continue to, to ask ourselves all of these questions. And, and rather than going to God in prayer, we, we go to our own anxious thoughts, our own troubles. We must follow David's example here. Example we see in, in, in verses 1 and 2 of this very direct questioning of the Lord. The burying of our soul before Him. Asking Him that question, how long? How long will you be far from me? And pleading with the Lord that He would consider and hear. 
Prayer is a confessing that we do not have all the answers. Prayer is a bringing of our burdens before the Lord. Acknowledging that He alone is the one able to, to deal with our human sinful condition. And this is why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, that we must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We must humble ourselves under His care as we cast all our cares upon Him. We must rest in His fatherly protection. And there is great blessedness to prayer. David in Psalm 32 confessed that he was in great distress when he did not pray to God. When he did not humble himself and confess his sins. David said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. David's very physical body was affected when he did not go to the Lord in prayer. But eventually David said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what do we read of in Psalm 32 that happened after David did that? David says, you forgave all my iniquity. And David was able to, to, to say, blessed, truly blessed is the one who has its sins forgiven. And that blessedness can only be known through the humbling grace of prayer. For the one who trusts in the Lord in prayer, hope will surround him. The work of prayer when we are anxious and depressed can be compared to climbing a mountain. We start our prayers perhaps anxious about the journey ahead of us. We have a long and hard way to the top. We are below the clouds. Perhaps it is even raining and we are miserable might even stop and ask ourselves, is it really worth it to spend all this energy, pain, and suffering to get to the top of, of that mountain? And our faith keeps us pressing on. Our faith that we will find a sweet relief when we get to the end. And that faith in God's promises sustains us in the difficulty of prayer. Until we arrive at that joyful and beautiful summit. David started Psalm 13 with, with that fourfold question. How long? He's in great distress. He's maybe even asking himself, what is the point here? Will God really answer? He begged God to consider and hear his complaint. What do we see at the end of Psalm 13? But a refreshing and beautiful and hopeful mountaintop view of the mercy and grace of God. David says in verses 5 and 6, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he is down bountifully with me. He said such a, a polar opposite here in this psalm. David's intense struggle at the end and his exuberant rejoicing. At the end, this is the joyful answer and end for all those who pray in faith to God. This is the joy for those who are troubled by the wickedness of the world and are zealous for the glory of God. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding that Paul mentions in Philippians 4. 
Paul tells us there, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts through Christ Jesus. And this joyful answer to prayer comes because of the mercy of the Lord. Verse 5 once again says, But I have trusted in your mercy. David admitted his questioning was brought to consider the mercy of God. The path of prayer led David by faith to consider that his God is merciful and gracious. And here, the mercy of God is his covenantal love. It is his chesed. This is the mercy God shows to those he has made covenant with. This is the mercy that uh, Adam and Eve knew in the garden after they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God did not kill them, but killed animals in their place. This is God's covenant mercy. And this beautifully ties Psalm 13 to Psalm 12. In Psalm 12, the the center point of that psalm is is the purity and integrity of the word of the Lord. David confessed in Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver, tried in a furnace of fire, purified seven times. Because of the purity of God's word, because he is perfect and faithful to his promise, his mercy is an everlasting mercy and it is a sure mercy. Even though the wicked may appear to be on every side, yet the Lord will keep his people. He will keep them from this wicked generation forever. Amid the trials and storms of this life, amid anxiety and depression, amid questioning, the firm reality is that God is merciful may seem like time and time again that God has forgotten his people. This, after all, was Elijah's complaint. His complaint was, Lord, I alone am left to serve you. It may seem that God has forgotten his people. It may seem that we could all together be consumed and Christ will never return. But that is impossible because of God's mercy. God does not forget, but he ever remembers. And when we looked at Psalm 9, we saw this. Psalm 9 verse 12 says, when he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. God does not forget his people, but is covenantally bound to remember them. And as you pray to the Lord amid the seemingly inescapable spiral of anxiety or the dark pit of depression this year, Remember that the Lord remembers. Remember his mercy. Remembering his mercy reminds us that the Lord does not hide his face from his people amid their trials, but instead shines the light of his countenance upon them. This is something we noticed back in Psalm 11, verse 7. For the Lord loves the righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the uprights. The Lord does not hide his face from the righteous, but instead it shines his face upon them. This should lead 
us to great joy. There's a play on words that is happening between verses 2 and verse 5. In verse 2, David cries out, How long shall I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? And in verse 5, he says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And you hear this play on words in, in the original Hebrew. The Hebrew word for sorrow is yagon. And the Hebrew word for rejoice is yagal. David, through prayer, through, through faith in the mercy of God, has had a complete reversal of his situation. The sorrow of his heart is now turned into joy. And this is because he considered the mercy of God. He considered the, the chesed love of his Savior. Much of the happiness that we experience in this life is a temporary happiness. It often lasts as long as the moment lasts. It lasts until our situation or our circumstances change. The joy that God's mercy gives is a joy that lasts for all eternity, is an everlasting joy, for it is sure in the death and resurrection of Christ. You might know much sorrow and anxiety in this life. Yet it is a temporary sorrow. It is a temporary sorrow because our Redeemer knew a sorrow and anxiety that we can barely comprehend. The Garden of Gethsemane, the crushing weight of what Jesus was about to undergo caused Him to sweat great drops of blood. Our Savior was the man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief to an infinite degree. We mourn and are anxious about the great depravity of the world around us. How much more did our perfect and holy Savior mourn at the faithlessness and depravity of His generation? We might think we are forgotten by God and that He hides His face from us, but Christ truly was rejected by God. He was forsaken by His Father. And because Christ underwent all that anguish, anguish, we have a firm and everlasting joy. Our hearts can truly rejoice in His salvation. Paul remarks in 1 Corinthians 15, 17-19, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still dead in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. We are of all men most pitiful. But our joy can have a great confidence because Christ has risen again from the dead. If you want reason to not be anxious this year, look to the resurrection of Christ. If you want a reason not to be depressed this year, look to the resurrection of Christ. There is our hope. Our hope that the suffering and trials and adversities and afflictions of this life will not be forever. But one day we will be in all fullness of joy. If Christ had not risen from the dead, we would be a hopeless people. 
But because Christ has risen, we can sing to the Lord. We can sing to him because he has dealt bountifully with us. This psalm beautifully shows us the experience of Christ and reminds us that our suffering in this life is is but a taste of what he underwent on the cross for our sake. David experienced the seeming abandonment of God. He experienced that as a type of Christ. David had the discouragement of facing death and having his enemies seemingly prevail over him. Yet Christ was dead and buried. He was crucified. His enemies did exalt over him for all intents and purposes. On the Sabbath day, it seemed that the enemy had indeed exalted over and been victorious over Christ. The Lord in his mercy prevailed. On Sunday morning, Christ rose again from the dead and confounded the sinful plotting of the devil and the world. God in his mercy did not allow his only begotten son to sleep the sleep of death. But he enlightened his eyes and gave him victory over death. A victory that rings joy to all those who would pray to God in their troubles. So I ask you, do you know this joy? Do you know the joy that David confesses in this psalm? Have you trusted in the Lord's mercy? Amid everything you have gone through, And will go through. Will you trust in the Lord's mercy? Will you trust in his covenant promises? This is the source of joy. Is that the Lord indeed is a faithful and sovereign redeemer. This truth causes us to sing to the Lord. Sing praise to his name. For he has given us a joyous salvation. He has not forgotten his people, but ever remembers them because of the blood of his only begotten Son, which was shed for us. For some of you, this past year was an incredibly difficult year. It bore many surprises you were not expecting. Loved ones passed away. You endured trials of sicknesses and trauma. You found yourself discouraged by the sinfulness of the world around you and its seemingly growing depravity. You're even discouraged by your own sinfulness. This coming year, you will likely be faced with trials as well. But know that as you face those trials, you can go to the Lord in prayer. As you're faced with questions you never thought you would ask, know that the Lord delights in those who pray to him and cast their burdens upon him. Know that he is your hope amid anxiety and depression as he is faithful to his promises. He is the God of mercy. He alone is your joy. You turn to him in faith. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you. Thankful, O Lord. Oh, how thankful we are that you hear our prayers. 
Lord, when we can barely muster up the words to pray to You, when we come before You with questions, even as David came before You with with that question, how long? Lord, what, what a comfort it is that You indeed hear our prayers. For You are a God of mercy. You remember Your promises to Your people. You do not forget them. You send Your Son to this world to suffer and die. And we now have a testament of our hope, the resurrection of Christ, the joy that will accompany our own resurrection. Lord, we thank You that in Christ our sins are forgiven, that You have given us salvation, And so we rejoice in how bountifully You have dealt with us. Lord, ever grant that we would rejoice in You. And in the midst of this year, You would be our firm hope. You would be the God we turn to in all trials and difficulties that this year may hold for us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.